John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand everywhere on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Now, John Clayton. The debate going into the football season in the NFC West is who has the most talent? Is it the San Francisco 49ers or is it the Seattle Seahawks? Well, right now, what you're looking at is it's a Super Bowl hangover for the 49ers is turning into a migraine. And because I say that, Richard Sherman had to go on the injured reserve list today, at least for three weeks. He has a calf injury. Artillo Witherspoon, their cornerback on the, uh, who's lost his job, a drafted cornerback, he now is on concussion protocol. Jason Verrett has a hamstring injury. So the team right now that's down but has many as five wide receivers, you know, putting them either on opt-out years, uh, putting them on injured reserve. They are in big trouble because uh, now they're down three of their top four cornerbacks. We'll see if Verrett's going to be able to play this week. But right now, Emmanuel Mosley's the only one there. So we'll keep you up to date on the injury reports and everything else. But let's get into the five biggest stories of the day. The top five are brought to you by us. Number one. It was one thing when no football was being played, but now we're, we're entering the third weekend of college football cancellations have occurred but football is being played and and within reason it it seems to be going fairly well and and really i think the most important thing is we are now through a weekend of the nfl and it seems like it went off without a hitch Uh, and and that has just added to the pressure uh, on the big 10 and uh, it's, it's also attacked their credibility the reason why you're hearing this october 17th date if the big 10 can get back by then, they may still be eligible for the college football playoff, which is pretty important when you consider they have one of the two or three best teams in the country with Ohio State. So the Big Ten officially going to start on the 24th of October. That's Paul Feinbaum talking about the Big Ten's return. And so, gee, I wonder what happened to the uh, heart problems that really put it over the top and put the Big Ten and the Pac-12 in the position that uh, if you play, you worry about the heart problems. I know there's going to be some different type of testing and following of that, but the presidents and the chancellor voted unanimously to resume competition, and uh, each Big Ten team was going to attempt to try to play eight games. You get the idea with problems in Rutgers and Michigan State that they may not be able to do it. But, hey, they've got an extra month right now to try to figure it out. Fans are not expected to be allowed to watch the games in person at the university stadiums. No surprise there. Wisconsin Athletic Director Barry Alvarez says for the 2020 season, they're waiting for the schedule to come out. And that's going to come out later this week. But Alvarez says schedule's coming out later this week. Meanwhile, the Pac-12 presidents reportedly met on Friday afternoon to discuss their plans for the football season. No word yet. Yet, although there's some rumblings that maybe they're going to consider coming back by somewhere in mid-November, somewhere maybe around Thanksgiving. How that affects the championship games, who knows? Don't know if there's a championship team in the Pac-12. We know there's not Pac-12 championship leadership, that's for sure. That's for at least from the uh, commissioner's office and that. But nevertheless, it looks like Big Ten is going to be back in play. Number two. I mean, I'm sure it's something that will probably last throughout the whole season. I'm just really here to do whatever they want me to do, whatever my part is. I know that for me, if things ever happen down the road or even in the next couple of years, that, you know, that's something that I can always have still in in my back pocket. So it's not like I have to let go of that side of my game. I just can still work on that when the time comes to get an opportunity or to get a chance. But... Until then, you know, I can continue to focus on my craft and perfect my my craft when it comes to being a receiver. 
So that's Tyler Walker talking to Bob Dave and more about no longer being able to handle the kickoff returns, something that he's very good at. But of course, now letting some of the younger guys get a chance to do that, letting Tyler concentrate on being the team's number one receiver. You know, there was really not a lot of returns in this week of uh, the NFL in week one. Uh, <clears throat> and of course, no, I think it was maybe one touchdown on a kick or a punt return. That was about it. But uh, I think it's okay. Tyler, of course, can go back to it at any time. Uh, and again, at some point, I think he'll get the job back, but right now it's not going to be the case. You have Travis Homer serving on the kickoff returns as a kickoff returner, and so uh, David Moore was doing the punt returns. We're going to talk to Dave Wyman at 1030 or Wednesdays with Wyman to talk about Tyler Lockett and the rest of the Seahawks, and particularly the 49ers problems. Number three. So now Houston's going to take Texas on. You have to feel that they're probably going to win those games. So these two games against San Francisco are important for the Mariners. If they can win those two games, which they're more than capable with the way that they're playing right now, then I think it becomes interesting. But it also gets really hard because then you have San Diego, Houston, and Oakland for four to finish up. Um, But why not? So that's uh, Mike Lowers talking about how things have changed for the Mariners. Technically, I guess you can say because of different things, you know, the A's having the uh, positive test <clears throat> that canceled that three game series against the Seattle uh, Mariners here. You know, now they have a doubleheader game that's going to be, you know, taken away from Seattle's home and moving it away. And now because of the situation with the poor air quality, they had to move the uh, games down to San Francisco, which is kind of weird, isn't it? Because it's like, isn't San Francisco and California having worse fires in the state of Washington? So <clears throat> that's very strange. In fact, it was really very hazy when you look at the 49er game on Sunday. But so now they get the game tonight. That's going to be at 645 on 710 ESPN and a game tomorrow afternoon at about a little after one. And so now the uh, Giants, who are, of course, competing for a wild card spot themselves or at least a playoff spot in position right now to get two more home games. And really what was looking to be a well-stacked home schedule for the Mariners now kind of disrupted as they go into the final 12 games of the regular season. Mariners are currently two game back of the Astros. Astros ended up beating the Rangers on Tuesday night. And so L.J. Newsom is going to get the start for the Mariners. But uh, he took the line drive off his pitching hand last week. But no real problems with that. Again, the pregame is going to start at 530. The game is going to be on 645. And you can hear it here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Number four. I thought we had so many opportunities over the last three games to win. But listen, you got to give Denver credit. They kept playing. They kept executing. They kept playing together. You know, so right now, just disappointment. You know, honestly, I thought just you could just see the difference in the, in the two teams. That team's been together. We haven't. And you can see it as the games went on. They just knew each other so well. I thought offensively, even though I, I mean, listen, we had great shots. I mean, great shots all night. I still didn't think we trusted. You know, we, we did at the beginning of the game. Uh, we did coming out of the third quarter. We got a seven-point lead. But right when they put pressure on us, um, you know, honestly, I just thought we didn't come through. Well, the Nuggets end up beating the Clippers in a stunner last night. And so uh, Clippers get the 3-1, blew a 3-1 series lead. And the Nuggets became the first team in NBA history to overcome 3-1 deficits in the same postseason. And so we saw the collapse of the Milwaukee team. Now we see the collapse of the L.A. Clippers. That was, of course, head coach Doc Rivers talking about, you know, he being in charge of three separate teams that have blown three in one series in his coaching career. That's not good. You know, it was uh, Jamal Murray 
leading all scorers with 40 points. But boy, uh, now it just basically comes down to can the Lakers choke or are they just going to be able to run away with this thing? Because it looks like they're certainly the favorites to win the NBA title with LeBron James. But the Clippers, who at least were good enough to compete and maybe see if they could beat the Lakers, they go down. And then uh, you have Milwaukee just totally collapsing. And that's not a good situation there. So lots of things going on. But uh, that NBA continues. And it looks like it's all Lakers all the time. Number five. Important to understand here, the Bears' history has been that they have gotten extensions done with all the core players that they have wanted to. Guys like Akeem Hicks, Danny Trevathan, Eddie Goldman, Kyle Fuller, Cody Whitehair, Bobby Massey, Charles Leno. Go down the list. This one with Allen Robinson to this point has proven more challenging. As of now, I can tell you there is no trade request from Allen Robinson, but certainly, Andrew, this is a situation we're going to continue to monitor. So Allen Robinson, wide receiver for the Chicago Bears, upset that there's no deal for him. And so what he did is take all the social media profiles of the Bears off his um, social media contacts. And so that's now off. Uh, price tag is probably seeking somewhere between 18 and $20 million. And the Bears, you know, could they look to trade Robinson? There's some people that think maybe in San Francisco with their needs that they'll do something. But I tend to doubt that because they can't afford to give him a big contract when they have to do deals for, you know, their top four cornerbacks. Kyle Yusick have to do some things, certainly for uh, you know some of the other players uh, on the team, particularly Trent Williams, the left tackle. And, of course, uh, the 49ers ended up signing Muhammad Sanu, who had been with Kyle Shanahan when he was the offensive coordinator in Atlanta. But it's a bad situation right now because Robinson definitely is not asked for a trade, but he does seem to be very upset about not having any kind of a deal done. Hey, you can listen to the show via the 710 Sports app. It's powered by the Dubin Law Group. Under further review, coming up next, we're going to talk about about what things do we expect from the Seahawks offense this week in week two as they take on New England. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. Under further review with John Clayton. We'll review the play. Well, under further review, we got to take a look at the you know, first week. Of course, so different because they let Russ cook, something that a lot of fans had wanted to happen. And now uh, he was able to get dropped back passing 38 times. Uh, had 38 pa- 35 passes that uh, he was able to get off. He was sacked three times. And, of course, they ran the ball 20 times. Don't expect the same offense coming up Sunday because they take on a New England team that has the best man-to-man coverage unit, I guess you can say, in the National Football League. Three cover guys that can do a lot of damage, which I think would imagine you'll see a lot more two tight end sets. Then you can see that they're taking on a running New England Patriots team, and so that's going to be a little bit different to see uh, you know, what type of thing that it's going to do. But expect a different game plan because you know when you go from the young cornerbacks that the Falcons had who couldn't cover to a Bill Belichick defense with good coverage guys, you can't do the same type of game plan. I know that uh, Tom, Jake, and Stacey were talking about what expected from the Seahawks offense in Week 2. Was that just the game plan against Atlanta, or is that what we're going to see all year long? But maybe against Atlanta, that's what they just saw would work. Maybe that they looked at the defense and said, yeah, we're going to let Russ go. Yeah, we're going to run the ball, too. We're going to work in everybody. But Russ is going to get his wish, at least on this day. I think this is a question a lot of people had is, okay, is this the new plan? Is this part of the new offensive identity, or is this just going against a bad secondary? And my very boring answer in my article was, it's probably a mix of both. And I don't say that to be safe. I say that because I think that's genuinely what it is. I don't necessarily expect this kind of passing attack 
every single week. I think that they took advantage of a Falcons defense that wasn't (laughs) ranked very highly headed into the season and a secondary group that was really struggling. Um, I think, though, what I would hope is that the success of this week makes them more comfortable in trusting Russell Wilson to lead them in some more aggressive moments uh, that they don't normally go to, right? Like one thing that I really loved to see, and we'll get to this later when we talk about our highs and lows, was with some of the aggressiveness there, like on fourth down, deep passes to Metcalf. Um, I liked the way that they diversified the passing attack, uh, getting Carson involved in the pass early. Um, it was I think a lot of fans felt like it was a fun version of football for them. And uh, I I hope that reflecting on that and realizing that makes them try it a little more often against New England this Sunday. Yeah, I think they're certainly going to be you know a little bit more active as far as passing and tempo and things like that. I think that's now going to be part of the new offense because you know. But I would have to think that the adjustments have to be. You're not going to go over sixty percent passing against a pass defense that's pretty decent. Again, we're not saying that you know there's certainly some issues right now with the Patriots because they're down seven key defensive players from last year with opt-outs, guys left in free agency. You know they're down four linebackers, their top four two of their top three safeties. Uh, Danny Shelton ended up going to Detroit, and that's a lot to take out of a defense that was pretty much uh, statistically the best in football last year, but also statistically because they played in an AFC East that had six quarterbacks who couldn't score 20 points. And so they only gave up 14.1 points a game. But still, you have to watch out because this is Bill Belichick. His packages you know, really tend to take away the best players. So now the question is going to be, uh, they're going to try to take away Tyler Lockett? Are they going to try Try to take away uh, DK Metcalf. What can they do against two tight end sets? All those things are going to be in play as they uh, get ready for this, you know, important game on Sunday night. So, Curtis Rogers, I mean, what's your thoughts as far as you know what needs to be done? Because again, they can't go with the same game plan. They're not playing Olivia. Uh, uh, you know, it's like uh, Olivia uh, uh, Isaiah Oliver. He's which was terrible in the game on Sunday, and they're not playing a rookie like AJ Terrell. Yeah, I look at the Patriots' defense, John. It is such a night and day difference from what Atlanta brought in Week 1 because New England's got Stephon Gilmore, who's an All-Pro. They've got the McCourty Twins. They picked off Miami three times on Sunday. and I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick is obviously nowhere near the level of quarterback that Russell Wilson is, but to go into a game against the Patriots with the same kind of game plan you had against the Falcons to me, it just doesn't make a ton of sense. Now, I'm not saying you know run the ball 40 times against New England, but you've got capable running backs. You may want to use them a little bit more against the Patriots just because of how how dangerous New England secondary can be. Oh, yeah, no doubt, and that's why you have to make adjustments. I mean, you just can't do the same thing uh, week in and week out, and that's, I think, uh, you know, that's why, I mean, you talk about, uh, you know, quarterbacks. It used to be it takes five years for a quarterback to really feel where the game slows down certainly the case of now the new quarterbacks you have to have that done in three years but this is now the third year that Russell Wilson's been with Brian Schottenheimer and I think that you can see that uh, they're on pretty much the same page but you can't keep doing the same thing you have to make adjustments and I would imagine that this team is going to make the adjustments it's just a matter in week uh, two you, you just can't 
be, be able to throw the ball. I mean, this you know, throwing the ball 35 times because what last year you figure that uh, you know it's they're, they're going to be in the low 30s for the most part, and that's probably where they need to be. But you know, try to do a little bit more early in the game to generate things. And you know, what is that? I think in the first half they had 25 pass plays on first and second down, and that got things going. And then of course they gave them a big enough lead that they could coast the rest of the way. It did, and and Pete Carroll. Post game on Sunday mentioned the running back rotation, and they're kind of taking it one game at a time, and in how they figure out incorporating all this. You know, I don't know what the numbers came out today, uh, but it felt good. You know, it felt good. You know, giving those guys the chance to keep them fresh. Those are two guys that hammer the football, man. I just and then uh, uh, T. Homer is such a good change of pace that I just like the, the three guy rotation. And I, again, I don't know what the numbers were today, but it felt good. And uh, and imagine how much fresher it can keep you know a lead guy that doesn't have that. That opportunity, and we'll just we can go one game at a time, really, right now. And we don't need to call it in any way. I, I never have, and I, I don't think there'll be a time in the season when I'll tell you, okay, this guy's going to get all the snaps, and this guy's not. I just don't. I don't think that's what's going to take place. Pete says they're they're taking it one game at a time, John, and I, I think that extends beyond just the running back rotation. And to me, when I look at the Seahawks' offense and they take it one game at a time, I think that is a, a good sort of strategy to have it's something that you know we've seen bill belichick and the patriots do year in and year out where they adjust their game plan to each opponent i'd love to see the seahawks do that and and you know as we know the running game is still so vitally important to what pete and john do here in seattle um but being able to game plan for each opponent rather than just running the same offense each and every time out against the you know against whatever team and maybe it doesn't work as well as it does the week before. You know, I think that is going to be a sign of growth, not just from Pete and John, but from everybody on the offense if they're able to game plan for each opponent. Oh yeah, and that's the thing that uh, you need to do. But that's I think the you know the fact that uh, now they've developed so much, and that's the great versatility of this offense. Because <clears throat> and again, that's why I think you're going to see so much more two tight end sets. I think they had what of the fifty some plays, like eighteen or nineteen two tight end sets, and I think you'll see more of that. In in this game coming up because then you know if you have three really good cornerbacks like the Patriots you know what what you want to do then is confuse them a little bit and put uh, the bigger body out there you know Will Disley and Greg Olson and then give them the opportunity to see okay are they blocking are they running where's the strong safety and with two out of three new safeties that puts more pressure I think on the secondary that's why I think two tight ends which is going to be incorporated more into this year's offense because the tight end room is so good is going to be a decent strategy to be able to go hey Tell your smart speaker to play 710 ESPN Seattle. Remember, you can always listen to 710 on your smart speaker or the app. Coming up next, we're going to get together with our Wednesdays with Dave Wyman. Wednesdays with Wyman next, John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. It's John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines studio. Two hours every day, 10 to noon. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand on the 710 Seattle Sports app. And time for our Wednesdays with Wyman. And I'll tell you what, I'm just absolutely amazed of what's going on with the San Francisco 49ers. The uh, 49ers, you know, you would expect we're going to have a Super Bowl hangover. <clears throat> and, of course, it started with the wide receiver group having as many as five guys either go on opt-outs or injured reserve. And they were down pretty much to Kendrick Bourne and uh, Dante Pettis. And that obviously did not work out. And now we find out 
that Richard Sherman goes on the injured reserve list with a calf injury. You have uh, Artillo Witherspoon, Akello Witherspoon having concussion protocol. Jason Verrett's fighting a hamstring injury. Now they're down to Emmanuel Mosley, and they may have to, you know, grab, uh, you know, Dante Johnson, uh, uh, Johnson off the, the practice squad. I mean, they are in bad shape. Yeah, like you said, Super Bowl hangover, and then they it's lose to. Air- yeah, and they lose to Arizona at home. So and gave up what almost four hundred yards, one hundred and eighty mm-hmm. yards on the ground. So, yeah, and uh, it's it's really. Um, I thought they were the best team in football last year, John. I, I really I thought they were gonna win the Super Bowl, and you know they uh, let's see they lost to the Falcons, they lost to uh, Baltimore, but I just thought you know this is such a well put together team. But wow, I mean the injuries are really starting to pile up on them. Yeah, no question, and I'm just amazed at uh, you know how that's all come against them and where that's going. Because again, it's like the the think that you can lose that many guys and still they they get more injuries, and now they have to go. Now, I guess the good thing for them is that they have to go on the road against the New York Jets and New York Giants, two teams that aren't very good. So they have to you know go near the Meadowland and see how they can sort that all out. But man, this is this is a very problematic thing as far as you know how what's going to go at cornerback. What's going to go at the wide receiver position? Yeah, and you know, it, it was really nice for the Seahawks to come out of that game with, I guess, Rasheem Green had maybe uh, got banged up a little bit, but he should be okay. But they really didn't have any injuries. And, you know, look, that's what, what happened to the Seahawks last year, and they still were able to win 12 games. I mean, shoot, your entire backfield went down with injuries. You you lost Will Disley, who I thought was really important. So, um yeah, it's just uh, it's just what happens sometimes. It's just bad luck, and that's you know when when you have a Super Bowl run, you avoid things like that. You know, the ball bounces your way. You you don't have a lot of injuries, and uh, now it's uh, catching up to them. Yeah, no doubt. <clears throat> and of course, uh, what's going to be interesting? And of course, we switch gears now, talking about the Seahawks and the offense, and. Uh, where it's going to go and of course you know they let Russ cook they let him go ahead and you know do the things that he wanted to do is you know a little bit more tempo early in the game you know more running uh, less running and more passing on uh, first down but I don't think you can do that against the New England Patriots New England is going to have it's funny John I was just looking like their their linebackers are entirely different this year I mean they lost Van Noy um, you know the uh, Hightower opted out. I mean, they just – yet they are – the two things with this team you can count on with New England. They're always going to have a good running game, and they're always going to play good defense. They've just been sneaky good on both of, in both of those situations. So, yeah, for the Seahawks to, to try to get their, their run game going against them, it, it's nice to know, though, and I don't know if we're just paying attention to it, more because you know all during the off season it was about let Russ cook and everything but they just kind of you know they don't have to force the run remember against Dallas in the playoff game and everybody thought that they were banging their head against the wall trying to run I mean they had the the best run game in the league by far and I don't think you give up on it just because of one half but I think what you see is that um, you know, they didn't have a lot of success running the ball early on. And so, yeah, Russ started throwing it around, and he can do that. He is, he's gotten really, really good. And I thought during that game, John, and I, I think people are, have been talking all off season about um, Patrick Mahomes and that he should they should use him more like that. He had a couple of throws that were 
I'd say every bit as good as some of the throws that Patrick Mahomes makes. I mean, they weren't no look, but it was like across his body. And I don't know about you, but I, it looked like there was a lot of heat on some of those throws mm-hmm. that he made. But and, and, you know, he gets sacked the very first play of the game, and he got killed on that play. And then another sack where his head almost got taken off. I mean, he he's just such a good football player. And he, he's really I, – I feel like him and Schottenheimer have really kind of come into their own. And there was some pretty creative calls. How about the option with uh, Tyler Lockett coming in motion and being the pitch guy? And he ends up keeping it. And, you know, maybe we'll see that later on where he actually pitches it to, to Lockett. But he just looked so in command. And obviously he was because he only had four incompletions, set a franchise record for – you know, uh, completion percentage and was just on top of everything. So really nice to see that they're able to put up 38 points, but it's going to be a little tougher. And look, you know, Bill Belichick, he's going to find a way to, you know, to make Russ uncomfortable and, you know, they're always good on defense. So it's, uh, it's going to be a test, even though, you know, they don't, they don't have a lot of, uh, you know, the players that they had last year, but they always get a guy like Adrian Phillips, you know, a free agent, uh, safety, and he was just all over the field the other day for the Patriots. So it's going to be a tough matchup, uh, you know, whether you recognize a lot of these names on defense or not. How do you go in and have seven key guys on defense and still be good? I know you can do it against Miami because they're not good. You can do it against the Jets because they're not good. But you lose four your top four linebackers, two of your top three safeties, and uh, Danny Shelton. How, how do you fix yeah. that up? Yeah, I don't. It's Bill Belichick, you know. And I, look, I respect him. I read his uh, book. There was a book called uh, "Education of a Coach," written is a while ago. But I've always respected him ever since then. He is a real student of the game. He's, uh, as you know, John, a historian mm-hmm. of uh, pro football, and that's the one thing that will get him going. But I've always really admired Bill Belichick. He just finds a way to, you know, get a defense to. To you know, I think what he does, he knows what your strengths are, and he tries to take those away, and and that's what uh, what I think he is the best at. So yeah, I mean, he just he just plugs guys into their defense, and they end up uh, having you know kind of I always say they're sneaky good on defense. It's not like they have a bunch of superstars. They always just are good. They're just solid. And then same thing in the running game, and now they got Cam Newton. So. Um, those two categories, defense and run game, you know, that's kind of what uh, what the Seahawks are about as well. Now, what uh, what things do they – on offense, don't you get the feeling, knowing that they have three good coverage cornerbacks and play man, that the idea is going to be to go out and go more to tight end? Yeah, maybe. I mean, look, that that certainly has worked. Those guys work in the, the middle of the field. I, I really like um, Will Disley, and he only had a couple of catches. But uh, but also you can see with, uh, with Greg Olson and John, you and I talked about how good he is in zone. How about that touchdown? I mean, that, that – the way he was able to kind of let things clear and then just kind of bend inside. I mean, the guy's masterful at running routes and finding open places, and, and Russ is really good at, at finding him. So, yeah, it's going to be a challenge, though. And and a lot of these, uh, you know, these linebackers like Shalik Calhoun and Josh Uche, i got to get all the pronunciations down here, mm-hmm. Brandon Copeland. I mean, these are all guys that, you know, not, not a lot of us, they're entirely different linebacker core. They got a few of the same defensive linemen, but uh, but they've got really good defensive backs with the McCourty brothers, J.C. Jackson, 
you know, I mentioned Adrian Phillips and, you know, of course, Stephon Gilmore, maybe the one of the best corners in the league. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, what about the running offense with Cam Newton? What do you expect there? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think the, they're, they're going to try it because, I mean, you know, I was looking at the Seahawks gave up like 42 yards. It was like a seven-yard average the first six runs of the game against Atlanta. So, you know, there was the, the girly run and – you know, so they need to tighten some things up as far as their their run fits. But it got better as the, you know, I think there was another fifteen carries after that, and they just Atlanta only averaged like two yards. So they got better as uh, as the game went on. But um, it's going to be a challenge. And the thing is, when you have a running quarterback, you know, it's it's a challenge because usually the quarterback hands the ball off and he's a dead player, and it's eleven against ten. But when you have you know all eleven involved in the run game with Cam Newton carrying the ball, it's uh, it brings on a lot of challenges. Oh yeah, no doubt, and that's going to be you know one of the fun things to cover. And of course, the one thing that's going to be interesting is that uh, you know here on this schedule, you know the Seahawks go against a lot of guys that they know. You know Cam Newton. You know they come back and they go yeah. Dak Prescott later in the season. It's going to be Kirk Cousins. Yeah, you know what? Uh, we interviewed Bruce Irvin the other day, and uh, he says, you know, in seven games against Cam Newton, I have nine sacks. So, And he told us, he goes, I like my odds here in this game. So, yeah, they're going to have to go get after him. But, you know, they got lots of speed at linebacker. And, you know, I think Bruce looks as athletic and as good. How about him in the run, John? I mean, oh, that yeah. first tackle for loss that he had where he just kind of sidesteps a little cut block and gets a you know tackle in the backfield. He's really good at, at playing linebacker as well. So maybe they'll end up playing a little bit more base. Who knows? But, uh, yeah, it'll uh, it'll be about, you know, their speed and, and able to, you know, they got to be able to really – take care of those those run fits like they didn't early on with Atlanta and but that's just something that that kind of develops as the season goes and I think they'll get it down yeah I would have to think so too so that'll be one of the good challenges and of course uh, looking forward to talking to you today at four and that's our Wednesdays with Dave Wyman all right. Thanks, John. All righty. Coming back, and of course, we want to make sure you check out the Professor's Notes at 710sports.com. Professor's Notes brought to you by Infinity of Tacoma at Fife. Coming up next, we'll catch you up on the National Football League. Going behind the lines, John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On demand with the 710 Seattle Sports app. Well, the... Uh, Interesting stuff down in San Francisco. You know, now they're scrambling around. They're looking. I know that they had Jared Valdir, an offensive lineman, go down there. So I don't know if they have any offensive line injuries. But they're destroyed right now at wide receiver and cornerback. And, of course, the big story is that Richard Sherman is going to be out. <clears throat> he goes on injured reserve with a calf injury. You know, they have Arkello Ar- uh, Witherspoon. He's now in concussion protocol. Jason Verrett, another cornerback, is in hamstring territory. He missed the first game because of that. Who knows how? And there's a lot of hamstring injuries in the beginning and also the start of the season uh, around the league. And then, of course, you saw what's there at the wide receiver position, which is virtually much. And also, remember, George Kittle has a knee injury. I don't know. Uh, Would you agree, Curtis, this Super Bowl hangover is a migraine? It is getting worse and worse by the day for the 49ers. And, and yeah, they just have the one game under their belts this season. But it was a huge game. It was a divisional game against the Cardinals. And Arizona looked like the better team all 60 minutes. And uh, the 49ers, they got an easier road of it uh, on Sunday against the Jets. But, 
John, if they lose to the lowly New York Jets, a team that is definitely going to be in the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes if they continue to play like they did in week one, John, if they lose to the Jets, it is going to oh, be ugly. the biggest panic button hitting right now. Oh, no doubt. I mean, that's that's it's scary to see how bad that is. I mean, just a horrible situation. And, uh, you know, can can they survive like this? It's like, uh, you know, it's it's so bad right now that you just kind of wonder, can they bounce back? I mean, and again, you know, they have to go on the road uh, twice in New, in New Jersey. So I'm sure they get to stay at the same hotel, probably get pretty bored there and go back and forth trying to find, you know, practice sites. But, uh, you know, now with that 0-1 start, I mean, you got Jerry Rice frustrated with the offense. You've got, uh, you know, all the 49ers fans just panicking. But the big thing is the injuries keep going with this team. They do. And uh, I believe the... Uh, 49ers are going to stay at, uh, what is it, Greenbrier out in West Virginia yeah. in between games uh, when they face the Jets and Giants in back-to-back weeks. It, it's, uh, you know, as we all know, that is a tough road trip to do in any regular circumstance, but to remain quarantined and continue to do it, that's going to be very tough for the 49ers in addition to all the injuries they have had uh, piling up. Richard Sherman going on IR today, uh, just a rough rough start for uh the 49ers but from a Seahawks standpoint I mean they're they're the the 49ers are the walking wounded so it opens the door for one of the three other teams that won games in week 1 in the NFC West to make a move and, and to put more dirt on the uh, on the grave of the 49ers here I'm not saying that the 49ers are done by any stretch of the imagination but if you can put them in a big hole early on in the season that's going to be tough for them to dig out Oh, yeah, no doubt. And that's just uh, pretty remarkable to think this all has come down this quickly. And this uh, just um, I just shake my head and say, can this really be true? Yeah, it's very, very strange to see all all these injuries pile up. John, uh, news out of the uh, good news for the Seahawks today. Russell Wilson named NFC Offensive Player of the Week with an incredible stat line, 31 of 35, 322 yards. 88.6% 88.6% completion percentage, the third highest in league history with a minimum of 35 attempts, a 143.1 passer rating, which is just under the 158.3 perfect passer rating. Uh, John, we're starting to see more and more people kind of get on the MVP train for Russell Wilson. It's only one week in the books, and we've got 15 more weeks to go of games worth. But uh, Russell Wilson in the MVP conversation in 2020 through one week, do you think he is somebody that uh, is going to finally get that that MVP vote that he has, for whatever reason, not gotten to this point in his career? You would think so. I mean, again, it's it's one where uh, this this would be the time to be able to get that done. But it's it's it's, it's not a matter. It's stats are going to be part of it. But I think also seeds are going to be part of this. You know, if he's going to be up there in the NFC with a number one or number two seed and win the division, and that's the key. If he doesn't win the division, he's not going to be MVP. I don't care what the stats are. I don't care how well he plays. You know, in the NFC, I mean, you know, when you're going up against, you know, Aaron Rodgers and Drew Brees and all these top quarterbacks, again, 12 quarterbacks in the NFC that are making $12 million a year or more, I mean, you've got to be winning those games. And I think that right now, 
this team is set once you get through this initial part of the season to win those games because you know after they get through some of these then you start taking on the quarterbacks that are young that he should be able to beat you know the Daniel Joneses you know certainly the uh, you know Dwayne Haskins you know Sam Darnold you know an older quarterback like Ryan Fitzpatrick they should be able to beat guys like that and they can start mounting to wins but again the key is to be able to you know stay healthy which is important which they did in week one and then be able to get a number one or number two seed and if that's going to be the case you know the fact that he's already won offensive player of the week with the 31 of 35 performance I think you can see things are starting to go in his direction I think so John also uh, in the NFC, Chris Godwin, the Buccaneers wide receiver, has been placed into concussion protocol. It's a rough week one for the Bucks. They get Carolina at home uh, in week two, which should be a, a little easier go of it rather than going on the road to New Orleans. But uh, things not going uh, the Bucks' way right now out of the gate. Do you think they bounce back in week two? I think so because <clears throat> they're not in New Orleans going against a better team. You know, we can we can look at it as like okay, Tom Brady made a couple critical mistakes. We can look at it as that you know they didn't do a good job on defense. That uh, you know Drew Brees didn't have a good day, but was able to beat them. But the Saints are just a better team, and I, I don't think that the Bucks wanted to admit that. But now I think they have to because, you know, this team right now is you know very good. And, you know, I think it could be coming down to New Orleans and Seattle going for the number one seed, depending on what you think of where they are at the moment with the uh, San Francisco 49ers. Uh, John, yesterday the Seahawks brought in a few players uh, for a tryout yesterday. There was... Uh, or they brought in just over the last couple of days, obviously Dem- Demarcus Christmas, but another guy who is not necessarily a huge name, but he was a second round pick in 2018. Uh, pass rusher Breland speaks of the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, he started all 16 games as a rookie in 2018. Uh, any news as to why the Seahawks would have interest in him right now? Well, pass rush. I mean, looking for pass rush, defensive tackles, guys like that. And, you know, that's the idea is that you want to try to get the, uh, you know, the chance to go ahead and, uh, you know, still do it. And, of course, you know, you want to on a Tuesday bring guys in and then de- debate whether you're going to do it. But you don't want to make too long of a decision to be able to do it. So if they sign one of these guys today, then they have a chance to go through the protocol and everything else and, uh, you know, get a chance to be available for activity. But, you know, you go through week one and then you see where the roster is and see what adjustments you need to make. Yeah, uh, Speaks was a a player they brought in, Demarcus Christmas, another one who was a seventh-round pick last year, Uh, and then a couple other guys, uh, Andrew Jones, a guard, Michael Jaquette, a defensive back, and then John Daka, another defensive end. So uh, a couple of guys in positions that I I guess are in need of depth here in Seattle, but uh, should be an interesting one. Uh, John, also... Finally, on uh, here and behind the lines, we're just uh, a day away from Thursday Night Football, Cincinnati and Cleveland. Uh, Cleveland in desperate need of a win to just right the ship and, and to get the taste of Sunday out of their mouth. Do you think they're able to do it against Cincinnati? They better. If they can't, then <laughs> this season is trashed. If you can't beat the Bengals, and again, you saw the Chargers had a tough time with the Bengals, but then you go back last year, and you know the Bengals came out here. Andy Dalton was the quarterback. He ran around. He made plays and made it very difficult for the uh, Seahawks uh, to win. But then after that, they just fell and collapsed. But if you can't beat Cincinnati, I mean, 
this team may be more flawed than the one last year. I know we got into a debate this morning uh, on Danny and Gallant because uh, Paul asked me about, boy, should this, there's rumblings that they may trade for Odell Beckham Jr. where there's, or they may be available. And I kept on saying, no, 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 no. Because think about this. Odell Beckham Jr. has underachieved since he's been a Cleveland Brown. Totally underachieved. I know he went to a Pro Bowl, but I don't think he deserved it. Then you look and see, okay, where where is he? I mean, he seems to be more of a distraction, and he doesn't elevate the team. And, of course, then you're going to give up uh, compensation. And I, I'll ask you this. If you have Odell Beckham Jr., who are you going to bench on this team, Tyler Lockett or D.K. Metcalf? Uh, neither. Yeah. I, I want both those guys out there as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's like you just can't do it. So I, I don't I don't see, and that's why I kept on saying no, 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 because it was a bad idea. Yeah, not down with Odell, just as I'm not down with Antonio Brown. Obviously, Odell doesn't have yeah. the, the rap sheet that Antonio Brown does, but still, that distraction in this locker room, not, not needed. Not needed at all. Hey, coming back, Greg Rosenthal from the NFL Network will be, join, Network will be joining us. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle.